Thanks for joining us today on the Harvest Podcast. Now here's today's message. We pray that it will bless your life as you listen. If you've got your Bible, I want you to flip to 1 Samuel 14. That's where we're going to go to, but stick a mark over in Proverbs 28. We'll get to there in just a few minutes, all right? We've been in this series called Supernatural Favor, and uh, it's, been, it's been a ton of fun. It's been a bedrock series uh, for where I believe that the Lord is taking us as a church. It's, the, you know, it's foundational. So let me say this. If you missed any of this, it is online. It is on the podcast. Go and get it. However, the very first message in the series, Favor Ain't Fair, um, that, that audio recording was lost for some, somehow. Um, it just didn't take, and so we don't have it. But you still need to listen to the rest of it, okay? You can get the idea of favor ain't fair just by this statement. And then if you want to hear a whole lot more of it from a way better preacher, go listen to T.D. Jakes preach favor ain't fair and you'll get kind of an idea. The whole point is this, that when God favors you, it's not fair. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that God's fair. It says that he's just, okay? And there's a difference there. Just is based on laws. Fairness is based on feeling. Well, that's not fair. How many of your kids have ever said that to you? Mom and Daddy, that's not fair. Life ain't fair, right? And that's what every parent says? It's like in the parenting handbook, thou shalt say favor ain't fair. Life ain't fair, right? I just, it's part of it. In the same way, God isn't always, life's not fair, God's not fair. He's just, and that's the truth. Fairness is a different thing. So make sure you go and get those podcasts. That way you can be caught up if you missed any week with sickness and everything running around. We get that. Each week builds on this idea of what is God's favor and, and how, um, what, what do we do with it? What is it? How, what do we do with it? How do we grow in it? How do, how do we grow in God's favor? How does, how does that process work for us? Um, and how God's new covenant with mankind is established and rooted in his cherish, which is the Greek word for favor in the New Testament. And we dealt with that a lot last week. And I'm highlighting this because I really want to drive this home. It has just been, uh, for me, it has been fascinating and mind-blowing to think that favor and grace are the same word in the Greek. In the original language, the, the, the language that it was written in originally, the same word that we translate favor and grace is the same, cheris. And it's 154 times in the New Testament alone. And then from that, cheris is the root word for nine other words that sum up God's, God's characteristics. I promise my preaching ain't going to be that bad, baby. Hey, I, you know, I have a face made for radio. It's okay. She saw me. It's all right. So in, in the New Testament, favor and grace, that cherished word, make up the root of nine other words that summarize God's characteristics. And those together make up 550 words in the New Testament that define who God is and how he relates with us in the New Covenant. And when I stop and think about how God's favor is so intermixed in everything in the new covenant, how we relate to him, it just blows my mind. Because everything that we do is because of his grace. Everything that we have, everything that we are, everything that we will become is rooted in God's favor. You can't get away from it. So if God's favor isn't fair and we can grow in it and it can be rooted deep down inside of who we are, Imagine what happens when we get a hold of it. It's one thing to have somebody tell you, hey, you, you can have anything that you want. Here's a, a credit card that's worth a million dollars. Go get what you need. It's another thing to actually use it. 
Just because it's there doesn't mean you take advantage of what you've been given. And we have that same responsibility. It's there. We have to take advantage of it. We have to do something with it. We have to put it into practice. So for these five weeks, they've been essential to, to laying the footing and the, the foundation that we're going to be building on. I'm so glad that we're covered by grace and favor, aren't you? Man, I'm glad that God's grace is better than we could ever imagine. I'm better, it's better than, than we ever deserve, that's for sure. I'm glad I've got the benefit of his blessing to be able to challenge the circumstances that are in front of us when they're not lining up with Scripture, amen? And we look at it and we go, hey, you know what? This report from the doctor doesn't line up with what Scripture says. I'm going to believe God's report, not what, script, not what the doctor said. I'm going to take what God's word says over that every single time, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to believe that. I'm glad that we've got the best of the best living on the inside of us, because greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? I'm so glad that that's what we have. See, having grace and favor isn't just for the benefit of the believer, though. It's not just for us to hang on to and say, look here what I've got. It's not a vitamin that we take to make us feel good on the inside. It's supposed to be something that, that changes our life and gets shared with the world around us. Now, it's kind of like this. If I find a new, amazing Mexican restaurant, I'm going to tell you, right? Every time. Like, like, like Josh done did me wrong. He took me to Torchy's Tacos in Norman. Oh, my goodness. I, I'm going to have to go to Norman for lunch today. Right? It, it's, it's that good, Right? Or, or like Taco San Pedro right over here at 44th and Young's. Unbelievable. They're not, their nachos are, oh, they're, they're, they're something to you. You know what I'm saying, right? It's, it's unreal, okay? Or, 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 or like Casa Juanito over in Del City. It's still one of my favorites. Has been for 20 years. Love it. Now, now uh, uh, Casino Domino, like it's the, sta- it's the staple. It's where we go all the time. Now, now listen, I, I know some of you are looking at me with those judgy eyes. It's okay. I like barbecue too. Like Leo's on North Kelly or... Wild Horse Mountain and Salisaw or, or Jigs in Clinton. If it's good barbecue, you tell everybody. I'm not going to eat at Rib Crib. Don't invite me. I like good barbecue. I'm just saying. If we're going to talk about it, that's the way that it is, okay? That's the way it works. If we found something good, we share, right? You know what I love about my doctor? Now, I've known him since I was about 10 years old. And, and he's not just a doctor, he's a friend. Like, I mean, we're, 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 we're friends. We text back and forth, send pictures of our kids. I mean, we're buddies, right? But the thing that I love about my doctor is, is we can tell people, hey, you know, they're looking for a doctor. You need to go see JB. I mean, Dr. Brown, Jim Brown, not Curtis, that's his brother. He's good too, but go see Jim Brown. That's what we do. Pat Spires has asked me for three Sundays, did you call my chiropractor yet? I haven't called yet, but Pat tells me all the time, you need to call my chiropractor. You, and today she can say, I'm going to keep asking you until you do. When we find something good, we share, right? It makes a difference. We share things that we love. We share things with everybody. We want everyone to know. Uh, we're not supposed to be filled with pride or be boastful or be, um, you know, puffed up in that way. That's not what the Bible says. But even Paul said that if we're going to boast, boast in the grace of God. If we're going to boast, let it be in the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's do that. Let's get out there and let's boast and let's be proud that we've been saved by grace. Anybody been saved by grace here this morning? Anybody here a sinner? We got a bunch of sinners. Thank God every other, every hand went up before that said they've been saved. We've been saved by grace. 
Man, that's the good news. We have God's grace and favor operating in our lives. That's the, the thing is, we're not that good. Let's be honest. We're not that good. But God is that great, and his grace is more than able to save us and redeem us and make us whole. So we got to get back to kind of that childhood uh, elementary school antics of show and tell. I'm going to show you how good God's been to me, and I'm going to tell you how much I'm his favorite. Maybe your kids aren't this way, but mine are. It's like a contest to see who can tell um, uh, you know, so like, like Rachel's out of town with one of her friends who's um, very sick and has been diagnosed with cancer, and they're having a, a, a girl's getaway because they're not sure how much longer she's going to make it. And so while, while they're away doing that, here's the thing. You know what I do? I make sure the kids know that I'm better to them than mom, right? <laughs> I let them do whatever they want, right? Because when mom comes home, she'll fix it, Right? Dads, any dads here with me, you do that? Don't leave me on the island, guys. Okay, a few, thank, thank you. A few of you said yes. Here's the thing. So we, we kind of like that competition, right? And our kids get into that. They buy into that. And we, we make sure that we want them to know. The kids go out of their way to say, oh, Mom, you know what Dad let us do? Yeah. Yes, I let you have sugar. Yes, I let you stay up late. Yes, you got to have that, and you're not supposed to have that. Don't Cecily and I had to have a conversation the other day. Listen, sweetie, this is our secret. Don't tell mom. Right? Right? And you would think that would be enough, right? What is the first thing she does? Mom! And she's just dying laughing. Mom, guess what dad did? Dad let me right up front. No! Don't tell her. We like the idea of being someone's favorite. We love the idea that I'm special, that I was picked above everybody else, that, that he didn't just choose me last because he had to. Like on, on the elementary school playground when you're picking up for the teams, it's like the last person that gets chosen. And we're never that when it comes to Jesus because if we were the only person on earth, he still would have been willing to pay the price so that you and I could have the relationship with him. He chose me and he chose you. You're his favorite. I think he likes me more than you, but that's me. You should feel the same way. Let's be proud of that and let's boast in that and let's let the world know that God picked me. That's the kind of bragging and being uh, uh, proud of things that we should be. Let's be a church that shouts the praises of God's goodness to the world around us. So that's where we've been. This week, we're going to look at how favor makes the impossible possible. Doesn't make it effortless or easy, but it makes the impossible possible. We're going to look back at a text we've looked at before. It's found in 1 Samuel we're going to pick up in verse uh, 23 of chapter 13 and read through part of chapter 14. It'll be on the screens if you'd like to read along, but it says this. Now Philistine Garrison took control of the pass at Michmash. Why couldn't they name things like normal names to us, right? The, Philistines, the, the Philistine Garrison took control of the pass in Yukon, right? Okay, so I, I want to make sure we get this. The Philistine garrison took control. They, they didn't just have a little bit of it. They dominated it. And not just 
one part. They had the past. It's really important because it was the vantage point to be able to keep everyone out or keep everyone in. It was a really important piece of land. It wasn't just a piece of territory off in some you know, des- desolate area. No, 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 no. This was a really important piece of property. And so in, chapter, in 14 verse 1, it goes on. It says, that same day Saul's son Jonathan said to his attendant that carried his weapons, come on, let's cross over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. However, he did not tell his father. Verse 4 goes on says, there were, uh, there were sharp columns of rock on both sides of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine garrison. Verse 6 says, Jonathan said to his attendant who carried his weapons, come on, let's cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will help us. Perhaps the Lord will help us. That doesn't sound very easy, does it? We're going to go, and if God gives us his favor, he's going to let us, he's going to help us. Perhaps the Lord will help us. Nothing can keep the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. His armor bearer responded, do what is in your heart, you choose. I'm right here with you, whatever you decide. All right, Jonathan replied, we'll cross over to the men and then, and let them see us. If they say, wait until we reach you, then we'll stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come on up. Then we'll go up because the Lord has handed them to, over to us, and that will be our sign. Not like the comedian, here's your sign. Not, not that kind of sign, okay? This will be your sign. Then they let themselves be seen by the Philistine garrison, and the Philistine said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of their holes where they've been hiding. The men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come on up. We'll teach you a lesson, they said. Follow me, Jonathan told his armor bearer, for the Lord has handed them over to Israel. And Jonathan climbed up using his hands and his feet with his armor bearer behind him. Jonathan cut them down, and his armor bearer followed and finished them off. In that first assault, Jonathan and his armor bearer struck down about 20 men in a half-acre field. Now, when I think about this story, it blows my mind. Because here Jonathan is, and he says, hey, if they see us and they say, come on, we're going to teach you a lesson, that's the sign that God's going to get them. I would look at that and go, hey, if they see us and they say, come on up, we should go the other way. Our, our, our surprise attack has failed. Not Jonathan. He says, that's how we know God's going to give them to us, is if they see it coming. Listen, there are times in our lives that we need for the devil to see us coming because God has handed him over to us and he needs to realize that God is going to help us kick the devil in the teeth and break the horns off the wicked just like Psalm says and he's going to help us overcome and conquer and win the victory. Sometimes we need that for him to see it. It doesn't say that it made it easy. So here's Jonathan's armor bearer. They climb up there. Seems like an impossible task. Two men against this entire outpost. And really, it's kind of one man because it says that Jonathan did the work and the armor bearer finished him off. I like the armor bearer's role, right? You, you, you hack them down and I'll kill them. That's easy. They're already defenseless. I can handle that. That seems like the easy role. But now John, Jonathan said, I'm going to be on the attack. I'm going to be on the offensive. And here we go. Jonathan knew what we know, that if God is for us, who can be against us? If God favors our undertaking, nothing is impossible. Jesus said that nothing is impossible to him who believes. Nothing is impossible. We've just got to take our place, do our part, and believe God to do it. So they went for it. God made the impossible possible. They still had to fight. 
They still had to carry their sword. They still had to swing it in action. They still had to defend themselves. They still had to take care of business. See, sometimes, especially in today's Western Christianity uh, mode of thinking, we think if God, uh, God uh, you know, gives us his favor, everything's just going to be so easy. It's not going to be any work. It's going to, no, 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 no. It makes it look easy, but it ain't easy. It's not. It may seem like it's no big deal, but somebody worked their tail off to get there. It's kind of like we've said before, that it's amazing how often this happens, that suddenly steals the credit for gradually and consistently. All of a sudden, this new artist bursts onto the scene. Well, we didn't realize that they have worked for years and years and years to be able to do that. My brother was telling me about uh, an 11-year-old boy, 11 years old, that every, armed branch, uh, every branch of the armed services is already recruiting this kid to be on their competitive uh, shooting, shooting team. He is an 11-year-old boy sponsored by all of these different uh, weapons makers and guns and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's an amazing thing. He takes and goes to these competitions, takes his regular rifle, turns the scope off, and will shoot things for seven or 800 yards out. It's like half of a mile kind of a shot. And he does it just... Here you go, boom. Well, he has practiced since he was a little boy. Yo-Yo Ma, the most famous cellist in the world, is estimated that he has practiced something like 50,000 hours to be able to play the cello in his lifetime. It doesn't just happen. Larry Bird, when he was playing basketball, didn't quit a single basketball practice without having made 100 baskets in a row before he would walk off the court. Phil Mickelson, one of the greatest golfers of all time, doesn't leave the practice green until he has made 100 putts in a row from inside of five feet. Practice and and work and work and work, and all of a sudden, where'd this guy come from? He just burst on? No, 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 no. He didn't burst onto the scene. He's worked his tail off so that it looks easy to us. We've got to be willing to do the same thing. Jonathan didn't just get up there and say, I'm going to take on these Philistines, not even having picked up a sword. He knew what he was doing, and he attacked. God has given you a skill. He has given me a skill, and he said, I want you to use this that you have worked and developed and honed this talent to go and use it for my kingdom and for my purposes so that we can advance the kingdom of God. That's what happens in our lives. They still had to work to do something. But here's the kicker. It brings us to where we're at today, where we have to be willing to say what looks like is an impossible task in front of us to build a healthy and thriving and generous church in the southwest part of Oklahoma City is an impossible task. But you know what? It's not true because we have God's favor. Is it going to be easy and effortless? No. But is it possible? You better believe it. Of course it is. It's completely doable with God's grace and favor. So today, um, today we, we've been telling you for a couple of weeks that this was going to be Vision Sunday. We're going to share what we believe like God's put in our heart for us today. I want to share a message with you that I've entitled, I See a Church. It's built off of our core structural elements that we believe God has put in our hearts for this church for today and for where we're going, where God's leading us. So we're going to start with Vision What do we see as our preferred future? When we talk about vision, here's the thing. Proverbs, the author of Proverbs, got it right. So in Proverbs 29, 18, it says, Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is the man who keeps the law. Vision's a huge thing, right? Uh, Helen Keller, uh, she said it best when she said, 
it's more of a travesty to have sight but not vision. To see but not know where you're going. Sight, without vision, and the ESV said it really well, prophetic vision, a God-given purpose for where we're going, it's, it's, it's a hard road to wander. To try to just figure it out as you go, that's difficult, right? Without vision, we're going to end up nowhere on purpose. Without that guiding and directing, this is where God's leading, this is what God's doing in our lives. Churches wander aimlessly. People wander aimlessly all the time. They cast off restraint. They perish for lack of an understanding. There's no way to get where you want to go. And I love the way that the ESV says it, prophetic vision that speaks to our, our, our uh, New Year's revelations that we've practiced for so many years and we've talked about of how God guides us into this next season on purpose and God directs our paths and says, this is where you're going and this is what you're doing. There's a reason why God does this and why he sets us up and leads us where we're going. There's a reason why God doesn't just leave things to chance. There's nothing that happens in our life that is just chance. It's God, God has a purpose. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He knows everything and can do everything and is able to accomplish everything that he wants to do. We need that God-given direction in our lives. This verse is really interesting to me because in the Greek, that word vision is the word kazon, not calzone. I'm not talking about pizza. But if you're going to eat pizza, you should probably go to um, Hideaway. That's the best pizza in Oklahoma City, Probably. Kazon, it's a big word in the Greek, or in the Hebrew, I'm sorry, it's a big word. And it's an important word because it's more than just vision. It's this, this God-given purpose, this God-given mandate. This is where you're going. It's the God-given, here's what's happening next. It's that word of revelation that comes for where you're at in the now. In this moment, God's saying, this is for you and this is for now. You ever had one of those moments when God just drops something in your heart as you're reading the word and it just illuminates and you're like, wow, I never saw that before anybody had Ever had one of those moments? Man, those moments are life-changing for us if we'll grab a hold of them. We need that. See, when we talk about vision, it's easy to preach. It's another thing to live. And by the way, vision isn't just for an organization, for a church. It's for our own personal lives. See, as, we, as we're leading our children, as we're raising our families, we need to do so on purpose with vision. I want my children to be aimed in this way. The Bible refers to parenting like a master archer who aims his children like arrows and then releases them. That takes target. That takes practice. You have to have a target that you're aiming at. The Bible doesn't say with just, you know, flippantly that if you uh, raise up a child in the way that they should go when they're old and not depart from it. The problem is so many families didn't raise their children to do anything other than go to church and get it from somebody else. They never saw it modeled at home. So mom and dad, let's get back to seeing things the way the Bible says. Only in Christianity, only in the Western world, is the church the center of the Christian life. When you get back to the Jewish roots, the family was. Listen, I love Tina. I love Miss Tina, Pastor Tina. She is an amazing children's pastor. But you know whose job it is to teach my children the word of God? Mine. You know whose job it is to teach them how to pray? Mine. You know whose job it is to teach your kids how to pray and read the Bible? That's a really good chance for you to say mine. I mean, you were okay with yelling it when it was me. When we talk about you, you're like, no, no, uh -uh, I ain't owning that baby. Uh Uh-uh, forget it. Listen, grandparents, you have a responsibility 
investing in them and continuing to invest in them. If you have children that are are wayward and they're not following the Lord, do everything you can to get those grandkids involved in church and do everything you can to teach them the word of God and invest in them and to show them what life can be like. Show them there's another way. Show them how to walk with the Lord. We've got to teach them to have vision for their lives. I have a journal that I've kept for each one of my kids, and one day I'll give it to them when they're about 18, probably on their 18th birthday, it's my goal. I'll hand them a printout of this journal that I've been making for them since the day that they were born. Each one of my kids, I have a separate Bible that's a note maker's Bible. This is not bragging on me, this is what I felt like the Lord asked me to do. And in the note maker's Bible, it has a wide margin, and I have written notes all through them. And one day I will hand them this and this journal and say, I have been preparing this for you for 18 years, for you to follow the Lord. And by the way, here's the life verse I believe God gave me for you. This is what we have prayed for you every day for since the day that you were born, that God would do this specifically in your life. And when you were six weeks or younger, as we prayed over you as a family, we believe that the Lord spoke this over your life. Now, again, this is not pat me on the back. This is hard work. You know how hard it is to write in three separate journals every day? Something specific for your children so that they have something unique that's personal to them? It's difficult. You know what else is hard? Being a parent. You know what's easy? Yeah, you can have whatever you want to have. You want more pizza, baby? You can have all the pizza you want. You want, you want more sugar? I know it's bedtime. You can have it. You want caffeine? Oh, you got it. You know what's hard? No, you can't go to that party. No, you can't listen to that. No, you can't watch that. It's easy to say yes. It's hard to say no. So when we talk about vision for our local church, we talk about vision in our own personal lives, it's something that requires something of us to put it into practice. I want us to have vision for the local church, and I want you to hear what I believe God is saying and what God has put in our hearts. So when we talk about what what is the vision for our local church, what is it that I see, I'm, I'm really glad that you asked, because here's what I see, here's the vision statement for our Harvest family. I see a church that is a hospital for the hurting, a lighthouse for the lost, a shelter for the battered, bruised, and broken and a powerhouse to propel the gospel into our local community and the world, to see people saved, healed, delivered, set free, empowered, and equipped, and serving in the harvest. That's a mouthful, huh? It's not easy. You know what's easy? To boil that down to one sentence, little catchy phrase. I don't mind slogans, that kind of stuff. It's a slogan. One of, my, one of my favorite pastors to, to pay attention to, Robert Morris, he pastors Gateway Church in South Lake, Texas, and it's an amazing church. It runs about 35,000 people. And their slogan is, at Gateway Church, we're all about people. It's a great slogan, huh? But that's not the vision. Vision is much broader and much larger. And it's difficult. Because a vision that says, this is where we see God taking us. To be a hospital for the hurting, 
It's what Jesus said that we're here to do, why he came, to seek and to save that which was lost, to be a hospital for those who needed him. Not to, he didn't come to save those that were good and bound. He came for those who were hurting and needy, those that realized that they need, needed a doctor. That's who Jesus came for. If we don't realize that we're lost and that we desperately need salvation and that we're in desperate need of saving grace of Jesus Christ and the great physician's hand in our life, we'll never come to know Jesus. But we do. We all need him, and we've all found that to be the case, and we've been saved by him. So we're going to be a hospital for the hurting. We want the broken elements of humanity to be found at home and to make this their place. We want to be a lighthouse, which is a city on the hill, a lighthouse in the darkness, a safe place, someone that they can see, a beacon on the hill. You know what we've become here at Harvest is we've become a lighthouse. Through our outreaches in the local schools, our community knows our church. Through our local outreaches, through the fall festival that this last year we saw over 1,300 people come to, some might say 1,500, I didn't want to speak evangelistically. Over 1,300 people came through the gate to be a part of this amazing outreach. You know what's amazing about that? Is that's 1,300 people that felt the love of Jesus Christ in this local church. We want to be a lighthouse that they can see that when they know that they're in a time of need, they can come in and find hope and find salvation and rest and comfort here in this local place. We want to be a powerhouse. It's not just about us. It's not just about us. We're not a country club. Would you just tap your neighbor on the shoulder and tell him this is not a country club? We don't have a director of member services. We don't have a complaint department. We don't. That's not something that we're ever going to have. I guess if you want a complaint department, there's a wastebasket regularly around the hallways. Here's the thing. If we're going to be a powerhouse for the gospel to go not just locally but around the world, we have to be giving and living and, and doing everything we can on purpose and on mission. We've got to get after it. We've got to give it everything that we've got so that the world can know what Jesus can and will do in their lives. We're going to be involved in missions. We're going to be involved in Africa. We're going to be involved in building churches. We're going to be involved as we can be around the world. We're going to be a powerhouse for the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just so people can hear about it, but so they can be discipled here and around the world. We're going to be involved in our community and our schools and with our outreaches here locally. We're going to do everything we can to make sure that the name of Jesus is famous in our square mile which is why we've adopted the schools and why we continue to give back and continue to invest in them. Why? Because one day, and we've had it happen where people come and say, you send my kids on field trips every year, I wanna see what your church is about. We're gonna give, we're gonna invest in our local community. We wanna see people saved, amen? We wanna see people saved. We wanna see them healed, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. We wanna see them healed, we want to see them set free, not bound up in what life has thrown at them. We want to see them delivered, empowered, equipped, and serving in the harvest. Not just a little bit, but in all that they do so that they're able to give back and make a difference in the world around them. It's not just about numbers. There's a lot of churches that it's about numbers. How many people can they fit in there? It's not just about numbers. It's about trophies of God's grace. Every number represents a name. Every name represents a story. Every story represents the redeeming power of the grace of Jesus Christ. It's not just about them, but we are 
counting them. Do we know? You better believe we know. It's not just about bragging. Though if we're going to brag, we're going to brag on the grace of Jesus Christ and his mercy to us. Amen? I see a church that's filled with vision and filled with people who have found that to be true. So I see a church that's fulfilling the, this statement, this incredibly complex and difficult thing to, to do. I see it being fulfilled in our local community through ministries that we presently have and those that are yet to come through seasons of change, through a food pantry one day, an after-school mentoring program, neighborhood investments, community resourcing where people can come here to find out how can I get a job, what can I do to gain skills in order to, to be able to better my life, to get out of this muck and this mire that I have found myself in. What do I need to do? We can be a, become a community resourcing place that's making a difference in everyday lives right here. I see a church that has multiple, multiple services, multiple times a day, multiple days a week, and multiple languages reaching more people than we've ever thought we could reach. I see a church with people in groups throughout the week being discipled because discipleship happens better in circles than it does on rows. Small groups happening all over the place. Whether it's in our Sunday school class, whether it's in the choir, whether it's in various other groups, I see a church filled with groups growing in Jesus. I see a church fulfilling this vision around the world through building churches in Africa, through construction, through, through equipping pastors there to go and to do it again in their own surrounding communities and perpetuating that cycle to develop local ministry training centers that are in partnership with the national church leaders and missionaries on the ground. I see a church making a difference at home and around the world. I see a church that's making a difference. Seeing lives changed for the glory of Jesus Christ. How do we see this come to pass? Well, obviously, it's only by God's grace and his power. Because after all, the Bible does say that some water and some sow, but it's God that gives the increase. Amen? So we're going to trust him to do it. It will take his power and favor, but it's also going to take us saying no a lot more than we've ever said yes. It will also require us to stay true to our core values, the things that matter most. So when we talk about core values, what are core values? Well, these are the fundamental essence, the DNA markers of who we are as a church family. If we're going to live with vision. It means saying no to things in order to be able to say yes. We say no to more missionary requests than we ever say yes to. Because we don't just take everyone that comes our way. We've got to feel like it's an assignment from the Lord. It's the same principle that you use with your children, whether you realize it or not. Every request that they have, do you say yes to? No. If you do, can I be your child? If you're looking for adoption, I'm available, right? We don't. I, every time Kate asks me, Dad, can I have a laptop? My answer is no. Uh -uh. No, I'm not ready for you to be connected to a world. No way, Jose. Uh -uh. Not happening. Every time Cecily says, could I please have... Name some ridiculous toy? No. We say no so that we can say yes. We say no to the things in life that are little and insignificant so that we can say yes to the big things that we love. Because if an opportunity is not an assignment from the Lord, it's a distraction. If an opportunity is not an assignment, it's a distraction. Our lives are much more defined by what we say no to than what we say yes to. We all, we're all grasping that, right? We can say yes to everything. Yeah, sure, we'll do that. Yeah, sure, we'll do that. No, 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 no. We've got to say no so that our life takes on definition. 
and we stay on target with where God has called us to go. So when we talk about our core values here at the church, we have seven core values. Number one, we're a family, and Jesus is the center of it all. We're a family. I want you to look around the room. I want you to look at everyone from a, a different ethnicity, a different language group. The color of their skin is different than you. And I want you to realize that that's your brother or that's your sister. All across the room, we're family. We could, we could break out every one of those touching songs that anyone has ever written, and we could play it, and it would be true. We are one family. We've talked about how when I, we go to OU games, at the beginning of the game, everybody holds up one finger, uh, you know. We say, it's not because we're saying we are number one. It's because we're saying that we are one. We're one family. We're one team. We're one unit. We are one. And together, we make up one. We are one family. We value that. Families have people of all ages, from the cradle to the grave. That's what families do, right? And we all progress through life together, and we need each other. Never more in my life have I realized how much, at this juncture, I miss my grandparents. While we were working on this project this week, um, our, our very good friend Terry Williams was here helping us and helping to make the whole thing work because he's a genius master carpenter. And the more that I watched him work, the more it reminded me of my granddad because my granddad was very much that way. There was nothing he couldn't build. There was nothing he couldn't make. There was nothing he couldn't do when it came to uh, uh, power tools or saws. He, he could do anything. You could point out a cabinet and say, Grandpa, I want you to make that for me. Okay. He'd go measure it, and he'd kind of look at it, didn't take a picture, go home and recreate it. People have those gifts, right? But we need each other. In all of this, in this project, Terry couldn't do it all. He needed help. Some people are strong minds. Other people are, weak, are, are strong backs. I, I can remember my first trip to Africa. It's 2001. And I remember going, and I remember, you know, I was asking some questions because I was, you know, I was on staff with the church, and I remember going to Mike and saying, okay, now, as we go, like, what do you need me to do? And he goes, I need you to be a strong back and a weak mind on this one. <laughs> what do you mean on this one? I thought that was every day you want to, you know, right? Like, we all have our role. We have a place. We need each other. We need that. We are a family. And if Jesus is the center of it all, then we get over our issues with one another so that we can remain family. We've got to choose to do that, amen? We're family. Number two, we are inclusive and colorblind. People from every age, uh, people from every color, every nationality are welcome to be a part of this family. Amen? When I look at it, this church, I see a microcosm of heaven because there's people of every, every race, every ethnicity, every... Listen, we're going to see that when we get to heaven. We're going to love them right here, everyone. It doesn't matter if they look like me or not. We're all in the family together. We're inclusive and colorblind. Number three, we believe in and empower the next generation. They deserve our very best. Our kids and our students are not the church of tomorrow. We have to empower them and treat them like the church of today. They get our very best. If we don't reach them, we won't have a church tomorrow. Like, we all understand that, right? If we don't reach the next generation, we won't have a church to pass on. There'll be no legacy to leave. There's no legacy to leave if there's not someone to, to grab hold of it and to, to give it to. So we have to invest in the next generation. Number four, we are unashamed of the power, gifts, and fruit of the Holy Spirit. Unashamed. Listen, the Holy Spirit moves, people get filled with the Holy Spirit, start speaking in tongues, praise the Lord. I'm glad you have a gift, but I would much rather see your fruit. Let the love and the kindness and the faithfulness of God be proven out in our lives, amen? 
Number five, we're going to leave the kingdom better than we found it. We're going to invest in missions work at home, right here in our neighborhood, and around the world. We're going to invest in the kingdom. We're going to do what we can to make the world better and leave the kingdom a better place. Number six, and this one's huge, prayer's our steering wheel, not our spare tire. Get it, right? I, <laughs> I don't want to be offensive, but I want to make sure you understand. Steering wheel takes you where you want to go. A spare tire you only pull out when you have an emergency. Prayer is a baby. It's a part of what we do every day. It's part of who we are. It's, it, it, it's, it is, we can't get away from how important that it is. We will build a prayerful church. Number seven, we'll be good stewards. We're aggressive in saving, responsible in spending, and generous in blessing. We've got we've to put core values. And what core values do, it helps us to live within our means, to budget, to take care of homes so that we can invest abroad. We're going to be disciplined when it comes to our finances. I'm thankful for the foundation that, that Pastor Mike and, and Terry and Dan and Bonnie have laid for us. I'm grateful for Josh's business savvy mind that helps us on a daily basis to stay centered and on track as a church with regard to our finances. These are values, these seven values, these core values are who we are. They're the essence of what we do as a church and what we believe and where God is taking us. They speak to who we are and they will help define who we will become. All of this helps us define where we're going. And when people call and say, hey, do you think you could, you know what we do if we're not sure that's something we want to do? The first thing you do is, Lord, is this what you want? And then we go evaluate, does it line up with our core values? Does this line up with who God has called us to be? Listen, there are things we can't do. There are things that are great ideas. I've had some really amazing ideas brought to us. And you know what we have to do? Sorry, that's just not who we are. It's not what we do. There have been things that we've tried and we kind of look back on it and went, that gets away from us. That kind of leaves us with a feeling that we didn't like. We don't want to do that again. It helps to define who we are, that we're going to be somebody going somewhere on purpose so that we can say that's the church we belong to and that's the vision that we are bringing to pass. You know what I did not do? I did not go and sit in the office and one day just chalk down some things. For weeks and for months and for months, we looked at drafts and said, what do you think? Does this feel like this is who God's called us to do? multiple times with staff members, with board members, with elders. Is this who you believe? Is this, does this recognize who God has called us as a church family to be? And we worked through it and we worked through it and we hammered it out till we said this represents who we are. This sums up what God has called us to do because this is where we're going and we're going to get there on purpose. Now some of you are asking why this today? Well because sometimes as a family there are times that we need to have a family meeting. And we need to talk about where in the world we're going, right? What, what are we doing? Have you ever had moments when you needed to sit down with your family and say, I feel like we're spinning our tires here. We're going to make some adjustments. We're out of alignment. Things are not just, we're kind of moving along, but it sure is hard work to get there. We're out of alignment, so we've got to bring things back. There are times that we need to be reminded that this is bigger than any one of us. It's bigger than one of us. It's bigger than all of us. It is up to him, and he will empower us and make it happen. We need to be reminded that there are times that this life isn't fair, but we are all in this together. And that together there's nothing we cannot do. You see, when I look at this, this church family, this beautiful church family, you, 
I see the church of Jesus Christ, his bride. And as your pastor, I have a responsibility to help you be prepared to make your eternal home with him in heaven above. We're all going to stand before God and we're all going to be judged. He's going to look down at us. And, and, and there's only one criteria to enter into that, that heavenly home. And that's to have accepted Jesus and for him to say to us on that day, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know what he's not going to say? Well done, thou good and faithful pastor. Well done, thou good and faithful elder. Well done, thou good and faithful attender. Were you a good and faithful servant? Do you know him? See, part of pastoring and part of that role that's difficult is to lead us where God's taking us. It takes prayer and study like you can't imagine. It, it takes, listen, all week long, you know what I do? Let's pretend that this is the mountain of the Lord. Let me give you an idea of what I do. I, I try to feel like Moses. I go and I go to the mountain of the Lord and I pray. And I stand before God and pray. And I read his word and I study. So that after I've been with the Lord, I can come before his people and say, this is what I heard the Lord say. And you know what? That's hard. This is not a woe is me, feel bad for your pastor moment. But you know what's hard? Is sometimes I don't like what he tells me. I don't want to say some things in a sermon that I feel like God's put there because I don't want, everyone likes to be liked. But more than I like to be liked, I want to be found faithful in his sight. And sometimes that means I have to say things that I know you're not going to appreciate. But this is where God is taking us. So I go and I stand before the Lord. And this idea of I see a church is not a new concept. It's all in Scripture. In fact, some of the authors in the New Testament said things like this, that he is looking, Jesus is looking for a bride without spot or wrinkle, right? That that's what he's looking for. He's watching, he's looking, and he's looking for a church that see, he sees. So as I prayed, I asked God, what is it that you see when you look down at our Harvest family? And I really felt like the Lord said and that he sees a church with his in the heart of the community with his heart for the community. And he sees a church covered by grace and favor and power to make a difference in the world, but has yet to realize what I've given them into their hands to use. Now's the time to stand up and take your place. Now, maybe you're here today and you'd say, you know what, Travis, that sounds great, and I'd love to stand up and take my place among those. But I've not given my heart and life to Jesus. I'm not... I'm not sold out to him. I still have sin on my books and I need to ask him to wash me clean. Listen, when we talk about vision for the church, we are the church. You and me, we people make up the church. This is where God's taking us. Where we've prayed and believed, oh God, that you would give us a divine direction for the future, that it would be covered in your favor and your grace and that you would saturate us and take us where you want us to be every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and you would say, Pastor Travis, I, I have sin on my books. I'm not covered in his grace. I'm not covered in his favor. But today I want to be. And I want to accept that. Would you slip up a hand? Anybody at all here today? Okay. Here's the next part. through life? Anybody, anybody feel like you need God to give you a purpose and a direction? Can you slip up a hand? 
feel like you're just kind of going through the motions and you need God to give you something more than that? Anybody else? I see a few hands going up. Anybody else? Okay. Who else? I believe God's going to do that in our hearts and in our lives today. I believe some of you, if you raise your hand, I believe that God's going to set that in motion for you and that God's going to take us as a church family on the most amazing journey together that we've ever experienced. If you would, all across the room, would you stand up right where you're at? Elders, prayer partners, if you would, make your way down to the front. Here's what we're going to ask you to do. And I know some of you are like, oh, we got to go. And don't, don't run off just yet. Don't, don't make your way to the exit. Don't hurry out the door. Just hang with me for one more minute, okay? Here's the thing. Here's where the rubber meets the road. If you raised your hand or you should have, we want to pray with you. We want the opportunity to agree with you that God will do it. And if you're saying, I'm looking for a place to be involved, I just don't feel like I have a purpose, I don't have a mission, a vision for my life, God will deposit that in your life today. All you have to do is ask. He wants to pour that out in your life. He wants for you to feel like, man, I have a mission, and I am a living life on purpose, and God's taking me somewhere. I am somebody going someplace on purpose. So today, we want to agree with you that God would do that. In just a moment, they're going to lead us through one more song. If you raised your hand or you should have, I want you to get out of your seat. If you need prayer for anything, we want to agree with you in prayer that God would give you the miracle that you need. So as they sing.